Welcome to WDND Roleplay Radio Podcast. My name's Cliff. Hello, y'all. My name is Jason, and we are here once again. And we'll be your hosts for our discussions of all things RPG and occasional tangents into other areas of geek culture. Today, we're going to be talking about something that many players of Dungeons & Dragons and many other role-playing games are very familiar with, and that is pets. Everything from the familiar that many arcane casters can get to the animal companions that the more primal casters might bring with them on adventures. No, that's not our topic today. It was about pet peeves, not pets. Oh, thank God. I thought we were going to have to spend 30 minutes talking about owls or ravens. See, this this is kind of what you're talking about. People not reading into things closely enough. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to do that. But we also have our friend to the show, Steve has joined us this week for our discussion about all things pet peeves. So how you doing, Steve? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, Steve. Thanks for joining us. So with our actual topic being pet peeves, we're going to turn right into that conversation, and we're going to talk about some of the things that drive people crazy, not just in Dungeons & Dragons, but in gaming in general. And, you know, this can be... Uh, stuff that happens in the game, or it can just be things that, that surround the game, the actions of the players kind of like outside of the actual time at the table or your virtual tabletop, rolling dice or running the algorithms, and you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> so uh, just to get the conversation started, I'm going to reach into the bag and pull out one of our topics. And uh, the first thing that I'm going to go on about is... The conundrum of non-optimized characters versus just maxed out concepts. And it, it would seem like these two things are, are on two opposite sides of the spectrum. So why would you roll them into the same thing? Because both of them hit me really hard because I love to min-max a character, but... I also like to make sure I have plenty of story backing up that crazy selection of abilities. I don't want to just create a perfectly mathematically crafted block of skills and abilities and totally disregard all of the other like story and world things that can go into the character. You know, so if it's just a maxed out character concept, like you, oh, you, you watched a YouTube video specifically about how to power build that one thing, and you didn't think at all about, well, which area of this world did your ranger train into so-and-so? That is bad to me. But on the exact or, same time, when people don't make a character that is good at their job, a like really, really low intelligence wizard or a a fighter that doesn't have decent physical attributes of some point to back up their weapon skills. Like those things drive me nuts too. Steve, you're about to say something. Go ahead, Steve. I, I was thinking of the game that we all played in where my wizard was the skills, well, not skills monkey, but the knowledge guy because the cleric of the party didn't have any ranks in knowledge religion. He oh, needed that for, for his cleric to be effective. Everyone was, or not everyone was counting on him, but people expected him to be able to like do his job. It it was if he had so many ranks in it under the three five setting, he got bonuses for it. And not once in that entire game did he ever bother putting building up a basic building block of his character. That's a poor opt that's poorly optimized in my opinion. But to him it was a role playing thing. And that's well, the thing. You have to have a 
some kind of a balance between the two, in, yes. in my opinion. Um, coming from the time when I was learning the game, you know, I was back in the 80s, D&D was the thing. Um, and we just made characters like every day because we just rolled dice and put the stats wherever and tried to make the best characters with the roles that we got and that kind of thing. But it, it evolved into having a bit more, you have to have a bit more substance, I think, with your characters as far as making sure that they are a viable character that can survive more than one or two adventures. And I get that as well. Yeah. Unless you roll low stats, suicides happen. Yeah, That's we, a we, pet peeve. That's a pet peeve? <laughs> That's a pet peeve. When people decide to try to play the character that they've rolled with, the crappy roles they got. And yes, yeah, sometimes it's nice when you can make lemonade out of lemons but then if you roll something that's pretty decent and you still don't think it's good enough and you decide to just try and go out of your way to have your character killed over some stupid shit that's a pet peeve (laughs) well i mean you could just let him make something else yeah but you don't but sometimes i don't so but that's so that's a cross you have to bear (laughs) (laughs) um so the the next thing we're going to be talking about is metagaming and the, mm. like, there's there's different levels of metagaming because like let, let's let's be let's be straight up if you're coming to the GM or the party and you ask the question what does the group need that question is metagaming it is because you're you're looking for input that has nothing to do with the information that you're receiving in the game to influence what you do, even and this is character creation in the game. If if there was absolutely no metagaming at all, everybody would just pick what they wanted to without any contact with each other, and the GM would go, "Yes, sure," and then secretly he could be screaming, "We don't need a seventh mage," you know. Okay. That's that is is metagaming, but you know the metagaming everybody thinks about is when somebody goes, "Well, we're going to be fighting trolls, so better everybody better memorize something with fire magic." Right. So, or that, or if people go, you know, checking out a module that's, you know, already been written and just glance through some things and all of a sudden, you know, their characters know what's behind door number three. Oh my God. Who would do that? I don't know. Anybody? Forums. Forums are, with the age of the internet, Sometimes it's very difficult not to be exposed to information. Oh, please, Steve. I was trying to call you out directly. I know you've got a, a bookshelf full of modules and stuff from previous game editions. I've seen your bookshelf too, Cliff. I've seen <laughs> bookshelf. What bookshelf? I'm sorry. You've modernized. Do you really want to start with the PDFs? Just scroll down the list. Like, I don't, I don't buy modules. Like literally, I don't, I mean, I don't buy modules, you know, for my own personal use. And if, if you listen to our podcast, Steve, you'd know that I was the anti-module voice when we did the module versus home, homebrewed uh, adventures. <laughs> you two can't split the difference down the middle, basically buy the module, but make it more world realm specific to your specific. Uh, Jason creation. totally does that. But I, I don't buy the module for twofold reasons. One, I like. I like custom making everything and I'm a stingy bastard. 
I don't want to <laughs> give them money for stuff oh, that I really don't want to use. Pet peeve. St- oh, that's Dang true. It. Pet peeve. That's true. And I'm I'm surprised that that you're you're uh you know you you I'm bringing it up there yeah yeah because I've been accused and and that's weird because you know we're talking about stingy GMs and I don't really consider my friend Jason to be a stingy GM maybe that's because I usually play characters that don't wear a lot of armor and beat things to death with my bare hands so I don't need armor and weapons as much as other people that play the game so. Well, it was bad during 3.5 era. 3.5 era where everything had a set cost, pretty much, and everybody knew how much magic items they need. The 3.5 was really the beginning of Magic Walmart, really. So that's why there were certain things that people just opened the book and say, I want to buy that. And it should be in town, in this big metropolis town, because it says that you can buy it. I had to put some kiboshes on a couple of things and people got mad you know and say that um, that is not available i, I will like, say out of the I, I will say in jason's defense that he's gotten much better in later years okay <laughs> he, he he's grown and evolved but there were seriously a lot of times when we had to skin everything because he would automatically devalue all of the treasure that we were. If it was supposed to be 50 platinum, we're lucky to get 20 gold. If the, if the hoard had 8,000 gold pieces, uh, he'd turn it into copper. And when the module expected the party to have X power level and we were below that, that's not just challenging. Yeah, that we're never be below GPK. that. Yeah, we're not never below the power level, oh, first of yes, all, because, we, because y'all, we, too, we y'all were too savvy. We had to, to rob, ever be rape, dead. and murder everything in our path to keep the power level where we needed to be to complete the to complete the mission. Uh, gee, Steve, how would you know what Nobody. power level the the encounter was supposed to be if you weren't mm-hmm. looking at the module or the boards or the forums? Crickets. No, no, no. Um, okay, <laughs> moving because, right along. Uh, oh, oh, stingy GMs. I, I yes, I, I'm sorry, GMs, Steve, but I will say this. The when the when you're fighting a creature that is now mind you this is old third edition rules when you're fighting a creature that's supposed to be killable by a plus one weapon or this weapon or that type weapon and you don't have it because the GM was stingy that can lead to a TPK. That's why I play a monk. But uh, moving right <laughs> along. Um, uh, but before we go from stingy GMs, I, I will say that stinginess is not limited to the material gains of XP or treasure. Um, You you might want to take a good look inside and determine if you're giving your characters enough inspiration. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing that I, I think that some GMs and I'm not necessarily going to say Jason's name, that some GMs don't give as much as they could. You know, it's it's a unique mechanic uh, to third ed, and I, I mean, for, it's different than something you know from third ed. But you know, it's 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 been a while since I've had that checked on my character sheet, and I think I actually role play pretty well. So, you know, sad face. You know, and we'll be playing tonight, so I'll keep that in mind. Okay, good. 
That's that's <laughs> the entire reason I I, I uh, agreed to this topic. So just so I can say that. All right, uh, moving right along. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I, I just, I just, uh, did that alone for the entire group and I think it was a good thing, but that's not a good thing with your table. When you get that one person at the table that says, I'm going to do this alone. Oh my God. <sighs> There's times when that's useful when you have to have it, but when that is somebody's first answer for everything, Lord have mercy, go play fucking Skyrim and step away from my <laughs> gaming table. You know? <laughs> But I thought I could yeah. take the boss by myself. The the rest of the party was blocked off or trapped in a pit, and I thought I could do it myself. Could they? Can they? Fucking kudos. No. But well, they didn't. I know they, what you're talking about. They, they, did <laughs> they did. And it was a TPK. I mean, there have been times where we've been in games where one character is kind of by their self just because of like random things that happen and maybe miraculously they are able to kill the opponent or um, they were doing something that seemed rather innocent and they get ambushed. That can happen, but it's when a character specifically makes the choice to go off by themselves and like, you're, you're camping at night and you just want to go and scout out around the buildings in the middle of the night in a non-safe area. That was kind of asking for it. And in the middle of the fight, the, the, the rogue decides now is the time. Now in the middle of this fight, I'm going to go check the other doors for ch- traps and, and, <laughs> and lo- un- lo- unlocking doors and lit a bunch of other orcs into the fight and that was back in second oh. edition when my friend did that oh my god oh i thought you were talking about third <laughs> no this, this was know. a friend of mine a, a different guy it's it's, it's I'll, I'll never forget that i'll never forget mm. that yeah we, we that was we had that happen in a, really That's in the beginning of third every edition yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we need to talk about since we're talking about people trying to do be Mr. Everything. Uh, we do have some people that are there just to be there and are not really contributing as much as they should. Maybe they don't want to learn about their character's abilities or anything like that. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's a weird thing, you know. I, and I understand there's some people that are there because they're there because their friends are there or their significant other is there and all that kind of stuff and they're trying to get into it and maybe it's not for them but still as a dm you know you want everybody at the table to feel that they're participating and and adding to the adventure experience so it can be a real issue and you're right you're absolutely right but and and that that situation right there can like feed into two other things that are, are like huge uh, drains on the enjoyment that a lot of people can have at the table. Uh, the, those people that, that are only kind of partially invested in the game, they're, they're easy victims to cell phones and being distracted by devices, which mm-hmm. that can happen to anyone. Yeah. Uh, especially Guilty. if you're playing on a virtual tabletop, but like that type of thing, you you have to manage your time properly, 
and not let the cell phone or device that you're using as part of the gaming process take away from the gaming process. You know, you, you know if you're going to play at the game, it's for your enjoyment, but you are contributing to the enjoyment of everyone else. And the other side of that, that those un, uninvested people, is it's automatically going to provoke a, another one of the things that, that I, I think, I know this is a huge hot button thing for Jason, and mm-hmm. kind of be, uh, a, I can be guilty of this sometimes, is an unsolicited sometimes. advisor. Well, like I, I do, but I reel myself in a lot better than some people. Yeah, oh, that's true. That's for sure. That is true. Because they yes. have been, we, we called those people the puppet masters. Hi, mm-hmm. you don't know how to play your character effectively, so I'm going to tell you how to do it, whether you like it or not. Well, mm-hmm. and, and right. And I know uh, hand puppetry, you know, yeah. Jason, Jason will call somebody a Muppet in a fucking minute. Yep. Because they like the, they'll let other people basically come up with their ideas for them, mm-hmm. right? And and there's a, there's a, there's a divide. There's a difference between uh, coming up with something and, and like having having like a little eureka moment and say, "Hey, have you been using blank with your character? This is something you should look up." And I admit that's un- unsolicited advice, but maybe these people aren't refusing to learn their character abilities. Maybe they were just being oblivious to something that they had missed. And Mm. that type of advice is nice, but you go from being an unsolicited advisor to hand puppetry. That's a fucking huge leap because when you think that you sitting here are going to play everybody else on the board game, you know, you might as well be playing like the old school D and D computer games where you were controlling you control six the characters, right? Mm-hmm. You know, everybody isn't like that, and and the people that do that hand puppetry thing, and I know it drives you crazy, Jason. The people mm-hmm. that do that, that that's, everybody that's crazy. I see. I, I've let me let me let me jump in here. I've I've come from the school of if you want to play. You have got to learn how to play. The books are there for you to read and understand how the game works. If you are not cracking the book open once at all and relying on somebody like a significant other or somebody else to pretty much do everything for you, why are you there? That's the school I come from. And see, that's, that's, that's my thing. And, and, you know, we're, 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 edging toward another topic which i'll get to here if you've got a significant other that is invested in playing but they're not picking everything up then that's the type of time you you do maybe need to advise them and remind them of x y and z on their character sheet but you definitely want to stay away from being a hand puppet you know letting them be a hand puppet Maybe let a combat go and just kind of go, oh, shit, why aren't they doing so-and-so? And then, like, a turn later, they'll surprise you and they'll remember that they can do so-and-so, and it's a great moment. And then if they forget after that moment, remind them. And, you know, they'll they'll pick it up eventually, they, you know, if they want to. But the people that are just going to keep their fa- face in a cell phone the whole time, yeah, no amount of hand puppetry makes that person a valid valid player to sit at your table and uh, hold on 
gotta gotta chime in because right now in a current game that I'm in, I am that person. I I while it's the cell other phone person turns, we have about eight, I am the cell phone person. We have about eight people in the game. Well, there's and your problem right there. You can you can stop right there. If there's eight people playing, if there's seven people that are players and each person's turn takes three or four minutes, you're looking at 20, what, 24 minutes easy in between your turns? And in order for me to maintain my zen, in in order for me to maintain my zen, I go into my cell phone as opposed to explaining to my fellow spellcaster, why didn't you have your spell prepped why didn't you know what you were going to cast before it became your turn why is the why did the fighter you know not do this or why is the cleric not using turning undead i i i don't want to be the puppet master so i become the cell phone guy well let let me I, i know this is and maybe this is a topic that we can throw out later on have you guys seen that movie uh, Robot Jocks or whatever it is, Real Steel with Hugh Jackman, where he has the remote control in his hand and they're the Rock'em Sock'em Robots? No. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Basically, he's a boxer that's got this rig in his hands and the robot does what he says. Okay. So he's actually doing the fighting, but the robot's the actual thing there in the ring. That is hand puppetry. Going over to someone before their turn where they've got 25 minutes before it's their turn and and asking them a couple of questions, that's like a coach in a boxing ring getting their person ready for the next round of combat. The coach is not going to step into that ring and take the punches, but they can remind them, watch their southpaw, keep your fucking chin down, do this, do that. Let's take care of that cut over your eye. They can fucking be a corner man for them and help them be ready. So don't puppet them. Like Jason says, hand puppeting, just don't fucking do it. But if you can get yourself in a position where you can use your experience to help elevate somebody else's ability to play and enjoy the game, do that. So yes, unsolicited advice and hand puppetry is bad. But if you can coach somebody... You're not playing the game for them. You're making them better at playing the game. So I'll get off my soapbox. No, that's fine. All right. Uh, moving right along and kind of talking about, we were, we, we were just talking about like other people being brought to the game with mm-hmm. their friends or with their boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other. Boxes, yep. Yeah. Sometimes when you bring that other person to the game, someone, and usually these are significant others that are, not invested or they can be a significant other that's not even playing. But if there's, if that person's got someone in their life, that's like constantly pulling them away from the game, deliberately knowing that they're doing that. And that's when you as players have to kind of be a little socially savvy and maybe breach that conversation with the player and be like, what is going on? You know, it's one thing if they got little tiny kids and they constantly need attention and they need diapers and they need this and they need that. I mean, I've been there. I've had little kids. I've had I've had a son in a high chair flicking Cheerios at me while I've tried to run a role playing game. I know that struggle. 
<laughs> I've had to get up from a game table in the middle of a combat session as the GM and be like, I'm going to change a diaper. I'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been there. I've done that. Yeah. And that's, and that's life. And we understand that life happens and that's not a pet peeve. The pet peeve is when that person just goes out of their way to disrupt the game for things that they can do themselves or just to be there and, and, and have conversations not relevant to the game. I had one experience like that. I was running the game. This guy, his girl came to the games a couple of times and at first she was chill. She didn't say much, whatnot. And then when she got, I guess, familiar with the rest of us, she wanted to jump in and have conversations. And while we're in the middle of combat, while I'm trying to read the flavor text, all this kind of stuff. And everybody looking at me like, because I'm Jim, I got to have handle this situation. Like, what you going to do about it? So I'm like, okay. So I had to go pull the guy and say, look, we love you. We love having you around. We love having you in the game. But she's becoming an issue you know she's disrupting the game she's making things longer than it has to be nobody wants to really have this long conversations with her about she's not in the game but she's using it as her social outlet pretty much and i said and i might not have said it in the most tactful way but i'm like just don't can you not bring her (laughs) next time and he said sure but then he jumped out of the game and i never really never saw him again except for a couple other times but that can happen you know and maybe it could have been handled a bit better, but that was me 20-something years ago, and that was not the chill me that that you're listening to right now. <laughs> everybody at listening, everybody talking right now can attest to how I was back then. Uh-huh. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think uh, that that's totally true, that sometimes you just have to have a conversation about those types of things. And, you know, a good GM is going to going to be able to see that and do that because GMs are there to, you know, they're there to provide entertainment. They're there to moderate the story and take things to the next level. Then there's some GMs that are just there to kill their fucking players. And I can't stand that hearing Mm, stories about a GM that, that is there and they think that their goal is to kill the players. There's there's board games like that where, you know, one person is there to... from beyond a GM challenging to being an actual adversary right. to the party. Right. And it's, it's... I mean, the GM is in control of the adversaries, but that doesn't make the GM the adversary. It's, it's just such a... It's such a horrible mindset. And I've I've run into it several times. Uh, luckily, you know, I, I never keep track of those people because they're not worth my time, my game time. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it just drives me crazy. And players that think that their job is to be against the GM are just as bad. Absolutely as bad. It's a collaborative game where everybody contributes to the story basically true to to sort of fold into what cliff was talking about gm being you know not just a storyteller and a facilitator but an actual outright adversary my pet peeve 
when a GM makes a, not even a bad call, but an unjust call because the, the description of the spell, the ability, the feat, the item, whatever it was, he wasn't prepared for it. So he just outright disallows it, even though it's an intrinsic part of the game. Like, okay, I fireball should work or a fly spell would let me do this. Yeah, well, no, it, it doesn't work now because all of a sudden the room is filled with an anti-magic shell. Or, well, this spell isn't allowed in the game. Or this feat isn't allowed anymore. I've, ha- I've been a player many years, and that is the biggest pet peeve of all when the spellcaster knows what he can do. He's ready for it. He's prepped. This is his moment. And wah, 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 the DM is just completely disallowing it. Yeah, that's 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 weird. I, I'm like, you know, you want to? Uh, I don't know. I try not to do that. I I, I hope people don't think I do that. I, I try to make things challenging for everybody. In the and past, I can recall once or twice. You're not bad. You're not nearly as bad as some of these newbie GMs that are you know behind the screen thinking they're God's gift to screen jockeying. But in, I, I can still call, recall once or twice where, okay, this feat would let me affect this creature even though this creature is supposedly immune. Well, you're disallowing the feat even though you let me take it and I've had it for two levels. You made that call before. Hmm. And if Jason's done that, I find it... I, I think amongst our group of friends, it's pretty well known how much I like to power game and min-max. I, I, I feel that that's fair. Mm-hmm. But I what I do is even if I'm trying to bring some homebrew to the game table, I'll bring it up, I'll look through it, find the things that I like, find the things that I think I'm going to be doing, and I'll sit down with Jason like over lunch, and we, I will, I will discuss in detail how I'm thinking about pimping my ride. I like, I have the entire beginning of that, you know, conversation with Jason before I try to use the rules to do that cool thing. And we have the conversation then before we get into the middle of combat, and I try to pull that cool stuff, like, like I'm trying to do a magic trick in front of an audience and be like, wah. You know, I, I want to give the GM an opportunity to know what cool thing this is. A, because I don't want it, I don't want it to take away from game time when we're going to do something. It, you know, having to go through the rules then and have the conversation then. And B, maybe Jason will have something planned so that it's a cool moment the first time I do so-and-so. You know, that's, that's the great thing about getting those little aha moments. You, you get to do it. And it works really cool, and you feel cool about your character's capabilities. But yeah, like having somebody change shit on the fly just because they don't think it works. I gotta say, Steve, sometimes the the way people read a spell that they think it mm-hmm. should work in way X is not necessarily the way it works. One day we were sitting there at lunch, and you were talking about like shape shifting into a an incubus or something like that. I was like, that's not even capable in fifth ed and you were like it's not and i was like 
no, you can't pick that as one of the things you're going to change into. And that's the, that's the hole that some people fall into when it comes to reading the spells. And I'm going to flip the script on you. What pisses but me off is also, when that people... Also, that was also me learning a new edition. Maybe. But the, thing, the flip side of this is when people have read something, quote-unquote, allegedly read something, and come to the table to try to do it, and I'm like, did you stop reading at a six-level proficiency? Because that is not what the spell says. The spell does not do blank. And I'm not specifically trying to call you out, Steve, although for being one of the most intelligent people I know, you do this a phenomenally amount of times. Like, people <laughs> will read a spell, use a spell, and, you know, it's, it's like a Nego Montoya. This thing, this does not do what you think it does. This does not mean what you think it means. <laughs> you know, that, that is a pet peeve of mine. It doesn't matter which side of the GM screen I'm sitting on. Because, you know, it, it, you spend all this time to do the magic, make sure you know what each spell does. And that is one of the things I do like about, like, certain casting classes, like a wizard. A wizard can't cast anything that's not in their book. A sorcerer only knows the spells they know. A warlock only knows the spells they know. But those fucking clerics, all they have to do is go, Kumbaya, my lord, in the morning, and they can <laughs> learn anything on that fucking spell list. So they could just yep. switch it up, try something brand new. Maybe it's a spell that, you know, as a GM, I read nine months ago, and I don't remember the exact wording of that fucking spell right now. And then they want to fucking come wheel out Moonbeam, and it's been a while since I've read it. And I was like, damn it, now i got to go back. And, and that, that's the kind of stuff that irritates me on, on the divine side of the, you know, world. Because they could just, well, I'll just pick whatever tomorrow morning. And then, you know, it opens up the entire spell list. But on the arcane side of the street, that's what you've got. And that's what you have to clear by the GM. So, I mean, I kind of like it as a GM with my divine people. Where, like, if they're going to add a new thing to the spell book, they have to have learned the prayer at least once. That little, that's my back door. Because I was like, oh, you can't just pick it up. You have to learn the specific prayer to add that to your spell list. Or the mantra, if you're a druid. Because as a GM... That gives you the out to say, nope, sorry, you can't add that to your spell list. And then in your head, you're like, because I haven't reread it yet. You know, <laughs> so. Which edition is that? Because I'm that's, like, that's, every... that's the cliff edition of fifth ed. That's what I did to, um, you know, the, the, can the Eberron campaign we were doing recently. And I, I, I told, I told my clerics, I said, I said, you can learn anything on this spell list. And they're like, I can change it anytime I want. I said, you can change it once you've learned the prayer. She's like, but then I can change it. I said, absolutely. She's like, and I can, I can learn a prayer whenever I need to. I said, yeah, there's no limit on that, but you have to go through the effort of doing it. Like to, to learn a new one, she, she, like, she'd have to spend a little downtime or something like that. I, I put that limitation on her, but it's not like learning a new spell or scribing it or anything like a wizard would have to do. And it, it was a self-limiting thing, which still kept the list totally open, but it, it enabled us to have a little bit of a, a guardrail on the open-ended, woohoo, I'm going to cast whatever the fuck I want. So I liked it. <laughs> I liked it a lot. So we've been rambling. <laughs> when do we not ramble? When do we not ramble? You know, but we'd love to, for you to chime in. Let us know what your pet peeves are. Do you think we're too old school or do you think, you know, 
some of this stuff is valid points. We we have other things we could be talking about, but we'll get that's, into those. <laughs> that's that's right. Uh, you know, uh, we'll tune in again in a few weeks, and we'll have a whole list of pet peeves of nouveau gamers. So yeah, uh-huh. so uh, yeah, we'll we'll get right into that. But thank you if you stuck around to the end of our ramblings. We look forward to speaking to you again, and thank you for tuning in to WDND Roleplay Radio. This is of course Ragnar Report. <laughs> <laughs> the grognar okay i like that one and we'd love to hear your comments you know you can always hit us up on twitter we're at at wdnd podcast and you can email us wdnd podcast at gmail.com if you like what we're saying please like and subscribe and hit that notification bell feel free to reach out to us and share your ideas and become part of this conversation give us money please <laughs> I mean, we do have some subscribers. You can subscribe if you wish, and and you know if you feel value in what we're saying and want to drop us a few bucks. Hey, we'll take it, and we'll appreciate it. And Thank we you appreciate so you listening, even if you can't. Alrighty, from everybody here at WDND Roleplay Radio, you have a great day. Thanks so much for joining, Steve. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Thanks again, guys. Bye. <laughs>